0: $5 minimum balance required.
1: What happens when the marketing madmen have two AMA award winners on the same show at the same time? Well, you're about to find out, and Chip and I are definitely screwed. All that and more today on the marketing madmen. They say marketing is a madman's game. So now we turn it over to the marketing madmen with Nick Constantino and Trip Joe.
2: Happy Saturday. Welcome to the Marketing Mad Men. Trip Job here with Nick Constantino of uh, 680 The Fan and the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. I think we're, now back we're on.
1: what, um, we're 20-something episodes in? I'd prefer you just say Nick Constantino of the Marketing Mad Men. And yeah, yeah so that's, that's it, that's right? We, we, I, passed the, I passed the test run, I think. I, well, think I, think we're I, I
2: You know what that ties in is, uh, you know, that's part of the brand now, the Marketing Mad Men brand. There, there and one of my favorite subjects today and one of my favorite people um, happy to have Joanne Harold, who's the founder and CEO of Harold Growth Consulting, uh, with us, and we're going to talk a lot about brand today. Welcome, Joanne.
3: Oh, well, uh, glad to be here. Thanks, Trip and Nick.
2: Yeah, no, and and I, you know, that's what you're doing currently. But um, we could probably take the entire first segment and going uh, through some of your. Um, uh, your roles and awards and everything else throughout your career. But why don't you tell a lot of the listeners a little bit about your background and, and also why you decided to make uh, the switch last year.
3: So I never imagined when I started as a star at McDonald's and what that meant was I was a store area representative and what that meant was I gave the birthday parties and wore the hamburger costume.
1: Oh, my
0: goodness. So
3: that it would create a lifelong love of being with brands, iconic brands, in hospitality and food, and really spurred my career. And from there, um, studied journalism and PR in college, got my first job at Captain D's and Shoney's. Oh, my goodness. And I actually did, way back in the day, a partnership with the Braves through Captain D's called Kids Club, and it uh, was an amazing partnership. Then went to Honey Baked, started really kind of at the bottom and worked my way to Chief Marketing Officer, Mm -hmm. uh, but left and uh, wanted to do, just do something a little different, continued on, went to Arby's Restaurant Group and was VP of Brand and Communications and then the Vice Chair of the Arby's Foundation. I was then recruited to a company called Interface, which is a global flooring company that's filled with purpose. Um, Then was recruited back to Honeybake Tam and um, spent another five years there as head of marketing and then have moved on to consult and teach. and um, Just so
2: many wonderful things. And that's um, your first stop at Honeybake, I think, is when you and I first connected. That's exactly right. right. And uh, so I've been fortunate to... To get to know Joanne and see uh, all the things that uh, you do for the community as well as for the organizations you've been with. So, um, so it's fantastic to have you. Um, what, uh, maybe real quick, um, because you have started it as a star... And all the way up. Any words of advice for someone who's, um, you know, starting in their career that uh, wants to have maybe all the accomplishments or success or fun that you've had? What would you uh, give them?
3: I would say in in marketing, you sort of have to start at the bottom and really learn the business, make good relationships, um, show results, uh, be a part of the team. And so I'd say... Go in, um, you know, ask people to coffee and lunch and get to know them, but then also figure out what the needs are, how you can help grow the business and, you know, just be ready for almost anything. And that could be wearing the Hamburglar costume.
1: (laughs) And that's how everyone starts, right? They kind of fall into marketing Uh somehow. Yeah. And I think... one of the things that always distinguishes successful marketers is a wealth of diverse experiences, Mm -hmm. right? Like imagine seeing it from the hamburgers eyes (laughs) is probably different than seeing it from that CMO chair, but it probably guided a lot of the decisions because you saw it at the ground level and you saw what those people were going Mm -hmm. through and you saw what those individual transactions look like. And that's one of the big differentiators of B2C is ultimately you're thinking about those customer level transactions because honestly, it's easy to think about you're serving a million people. Mm-hmm. It's hard to think about serving one individual person and how different people are and what they like and what they're interested in. So I think that wealth of diversity is uh, is, is very important. Uh, what about in the consulting world now? So you're running a consulting firm, you're, wor- you're working on brands and growth, which is I think what's most important, yeah. right? Uh, these companies, everyone wants to scale, everyone wants to grow. Um, in in the time you've been doing it, what has been the biggest change for you, um, and what have you seen from the clients and and in prospects that you're going after um, that that gives you, you know, that gets you excited for the future?
3: I would say the what I'm the theme is everybody's looking for growth, and right. so whether it's a university, I work, I do a lot with Georgia State, uh, I do work with advertising agencies, um, I work also with people as mm-hmm. a coach. And everybody is looking to grow somehow. I'd say the biggest difference from working for a company versus consulting is within a company, you've got lots of people and teams. And now I'm figuring out the balance of being an entrepreneur and how to scale for different projects. And then, you know, what I can, um, you know, pass off to somebody else and what I need to take on.
1: Yeah. What about, so growth is an interesting thing, right? Everyone wants to grow. It's a great comment, but honestly, grow to where? Do these these clients say, hey, I want to grow to this? Do they have the vision of where they want to grow? Are you telling some of them, hey calm down. You can't grow that much yet. Like scalability doesn't happen. You might have to enter other markets to grow. Um, you know, Georgia State is one that has celebrated c- c- tremendous, tremendous growth. We used mm-hmm. to run their football and basketball just as they turned D1 yep. and watching that changeover, my wife was a graduate from there. Um, so that's an example. But there is a limit to growth. So are you ever saying to someone, hold on, let's take a step back. Before you get here, maybe we should get here.
3: Absolutely. And what's the roadmap and what are your goals? And do you have the right infrastructure to get there so sometimes it's taking a step back to grow and just to make sure that uh they're ready for the growth do you want growth some people don't
1: always want growth they want to grow to a level because that's where they're comfortable
3: well or they take
2: they they accept any growth right whether it's really um and that could be the detriment detriment we come in you know we we were having this discussion uh, yesterday on a on an opportunity it's like Well, potentially we can do this, but it's going to take more resource time. And is it really worth us getting that far away from our core capabilities?
3: That's exactly right. And sometimes you want to make sure the growth is profitable growth and, you know, that you're ready for it.
1: Yep. profitable and sustainable exactly. because sometimes you can throw a lot of money to grow but what's the plan to sustain that growth is it always throwing money because that's one of the issues I see and one of the things I've always found fascinating about digital marketing especially is if you want to keep a sustained level of growth you have to keep putting more money into doing it that is the opposite of like traditional media where you invest in the brand and it pays dividends in the long run in the digital world because it's always that bottom of the funnel instant gratification if you shut that funnel off or that spigot off it's going to affect you it's it's kind of one of the it's how Google's rigged right how Facebook's rigged you got to keep putting more money into the machine and then they're like you know what Wait a second, hold on. Tweak, 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 algorithm change. Okay, yeah. now I need more money, more money, more yeah. money. So, you know, it's it's amazing when we have those conversations with people just about traditional media versus and one of the things we always say, and I like to say to people, is look, what's your goal with this brand? Is your goal with this brand to head it to your children or to make a quick buck? If you're making a quick buck, you don't need to be on radio. You don't need to be on TV, you don't need to be on any brand building, yeah. you need to be doing the easiest return on investment for that time and that now. If this brand wants to be handed to your children, you need to do some traditional media. You need to do some billboards and television because that is how you build brands over the long term um, yeah. and, and again as you go through this when you talk to people about marketing where are you pointing them what is the core competency what is your what are your favorite tools that you use for marketing in these instances
3: I think it's it's, it's kind of all of them it's making sure though that the brand has a good framework and really understands who they are and who they want to be mm-hmm. and then figuring out within the marketing mix What works, it's not usually one thing. It's not, you know, I love radio and I love digital, uh, but it works best when maybe there's some video sprinkled in or television. And then also making sure that that brand translates all the way to the associates and the people and then the purpose. Um, in and I did a lot of work in restaurants and uh, retail. And a lot of the programs that I did had to be executed by a frontline associate who was ringing up the cash register. So the programs had to be vetted and... To be executed there's a understood. lot of stakeholders but but yes.
1: simple too right simple. You, you can't be yeah. that complex yeah. that mm-hmm. if you're not that if your frontline people don't understand the message or who you're trying to target with that message how is it going to be executed
0: exactly. right so
1: I, I agree with that that yeah. has got to be it's got to be simplified because sometimes that's another problem with marketing everyone's got really big 30,000 foot ideas but how are you making it breaking it into small pieces so everybody across the funnel can understand how they're going about it and that's one of the biggest things everyone's got big ideas it's right. just the most successful people can take those big ideas break them into pieces so they're easy to execute
3: mm-hmm. yeah and the best marketers understand that and they also understand the role of supply chain and operations and and the finances the The sale the sales cycle and who's selling for Mm -hmm. sure Mm -hmm.
2: yeah so to that end a little bit what's the uh, what are the big challenges you're seeing with your clients today
3: everybody's there is a little bit of concern over the economy and the macro economy and so some of the concerns are, you know, is it a good time to invest? And for if you go back and look at case studies, the most Best successful time. brands do invest during these yeah. times. Uh, but it's just making sure that you know they're aware of what the macro environment, Looks yeah. like in the economic and,
1: and and I think in their own industry also right exactly. because a lot of times yeah. we, we talked to a lot of home improvement companies the best ones market because they don't think their competitors will be there through mm-hmm. an economic right. downturn so that's when you claim and stake market share so I think knowing your competitive landscape is important but Chip I do have a question um, did you pay Joanne because we, she came in and said already full funnel marketing approach yeah. Sherry talked about making sure the marketers talk to salespeople so either either you paid her paid or we're just having to I same learned page. a lot from Joanne yeah that's so you stole so from her yes. so she should be you know, so you should be paying her. I got it. Okay. That makes more
2: sense. No, Joanne's got such a wealth of knowledge and, um, but no, I think you're right. I think it's, um, you know, I hear it all the time of maybe we need to take a pause, you know, right now. And it's, um, but I'll tell you, cause I've been on the road for the last few weeks. Um, there are people wanting to do business and especially I've been at a lot of thought leadership conferences and, Tell you it has just been buzzing I mean people are looking for rich knowledge and then the opportunity to sponsor or be in front of people with your brand not trying to get quick hits not trying to uh you know um you know get uh, just uh, an acquisition but uh, to be able to, to support that brand and what you stand for I think right now is incredibly important
3: mm-hmm. well and you know post pandemic humans are craving to get back in person and to participate and be around each other and so events are are back and seeing lots of people yeah. at offices are for the most part coming back and
2: no there's no question and we'll, we'll dive in a little bit more on that when we come back from the break because i want to uh you know talk about how all those things play into your brand so you're listening to the marketing mad men on extra 106.3 and we'll be right back
3: Now back to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3 FM. Welcome back to
2: the Marketing Mad Men. Trip Job and Nick Constantino here with our special guest, uh, Joanne Harold of Harold Growth Consulting. And, you know, we were talking a little bit um, about the importance of brands and all the things that go in there. Um, You mentioned a little earlier, too, we didn't get a chance to jump in, but brand purpose. And I know you've got a passion for that. But tell us a little bit from your experience, you know, leading brands, but then also what you're doing today around uh, brand purpose and how it's important.
3: Uh, Brand purpose is so important. And you're right, Tripp. I've been able to do brand purpose for lots of different brands, whether it's Arby's or Honey Baked or Interface. I, I did decide to do it for myself. And that was, and I encourage anybody who has the chance to do that, to do that, and figure out what your purpose is, what your values are. Um, and it helps so much as far as guiding decisions, um, who you hire. It's very motivating for the next generation as far as mm-hmm. purpose.
2: Yeah. No, I think, um, well, that that's a whole other segment of um, – you know, the next generation. I mean, it's so important in these marketing organizations. And we were talking through the break about, um, you know, how do you how do you get the new generation to want to be in your organization and stay in your organization? And I got to believe that purpose is is a great retention piece to think about.
3: Absolutely. I was actually a couple of nights ago with some students from Auburn University Mm -hmm. and went and spoke to the women in business group there. And We talked a lot about purpose and other brands' purpose, and it in some ways had never occurred to them to start to look for brands and companies that have a strong purpose um, to, you know, really as much as they're interviewing, interview the company as well, uh, because the next generation is very much about transparency and purpose.
1: Yeah. My concern always is, is that when you start getting into brand purpose, that people do these things for the wrong reasons, especially now with that knee jerk, when you see a generation that's really concerned with uh, pollution and, and energy conservation, all these things that they knee jerk the wrong way, they feel like they have to do it, they're not genuine in their approach. And that comes through also, and that negatively affects the brand. You know, let's put it this way. No one's doing anything to be purely altruistic, right? You want to get your brand in mm-hmm. good thing. One of the things we always tell people is, look, if you are a charitable initi- – you have a charitable agenda and you tell people about it, are you really being charitable? But if you do a charitable agenda and we tell people about it, we can make sure yeah. everybody knows and it looks – it's a win-win for everybody. That that, that that takes a second for people to register because if you're telling everybody about all the good you're doing, then is it really charity? Or is it a PR yeah. song where you're yeah. trying to do it to make sure everyone knows about it? So. What advice would you give and what advice are you giving to distinguish between the genuine community-based approach and people who feel like they need to do it and are kind of knee-jerking into it?
3: I would say for a person or a business, walk uh, walk the talk. So if you say you're doing it Mm -hmm. and do it, I think it's okay to tell people be humble, but you can tell people because it is – Um, It does attract others to your brand, your business. People want to be around people who are doing good things. And let's face it, brands are people. And so brands that stand for something, um, you know, people are attracted to. And so it helps business overall to have a strong purpose, strong mission. Yeah. And then walk the talk.
2: Yeah, I've seen, you know, companies and brands that – What they end up doing is they promote the successes or the people they help as you know the person themselves not that we help them but they're the ones giving them that time and so i think that goes maybe a little farther maybe on the humbleness side versus we you know whatever the company is did this it's more about meet so and so yeah, here's their story, yada, yada, yada. This is what the foundation is happy to support.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think the businesses that talk about who they helped but also hold themselves accountable mm-hmm. as far as, you know, making sure they're investing in these areas and, you know, if it's um, community outreach, giving the people who work their time off and also putting money in the budget to – yeah. Yeah. Really do it.
1: Yeah, that's that flip side. You, you got to have to be able to plan that stuff ahead because you know when you go into recession or those downturns, those are the times where people need more of that support, and usually those are the first things that get cut. I mean, you see these companies cutting four hundred one ks and stuff like that now because of the banking crisis, yeah. and like you know maybe your lower level people are like, oh, that makes sense, but you mean like that those things have nothing to do with each other. I mean, yeah. we're way <laughs> off here. So let's switch gears a little bit. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your role as a CMO. Let's talk about honey baked ham. Um, so for me. I'm a Yankee. Honeybag Tam, I was not familiar with at all. Um, but I did see the change in the storefronts and the approach. And I saw lines at lunchtime, which I had not seen for a while. Um, so talk about that a little bit, but mostly talk about what the role of a CMO is. Because I think it's very misunderstood. And we talk on the show a lot about how it has changed. So a couple questions. Talk about the role as a CMO. Talk about how it affected you at Honeybag Tam and how that role has changed over time.
3: So I'd say, first off, the role of the CMO is growth. And it's to grow the company. It's the one area where the CEO and the board is looking for the person in the CMO spot to drive change, to understand the consumer, to understand technology and what's going on, and then be the catalyst for the organization to change or to modernize or to grow. So I went back to Honey Baked and the, went out and did these mm-hmm. town halls with franchisees, and they were kind of—they really wanted the brand to have more of a voice and a presence, and to operate more like big brands. Well, did. that's usually
2: the opposite.
1: Yeah. Usually, my opinion with franchisees is they're like, yeah. "Stay the heck out of it. Right, I'm so. going to put whatever I want. Just get out of my way."
3: Well, they uh, so they actually added more dollars into the ad fund, so gave us more marketing dollars, which was awesome. And we invested those dollars into national television, radio, influencer radio, um, more partnerships, digital. So that was a lot of fun. So that helped boost our sales and gave us more, more momentum. But as far as how marketing's changed, it's probably changed more in the last three years then it's changed in the last 30 years, and the pandemic accelerated right. that, and consumer, the way consumers shop changed that. So at Honeybake, we modernized and, during the pandemic, probably did about three years of work, worth of work in about three weeks. And that digital was ordering, I'm assuming, to pick Digital, up and, yep. Yeah, Buy online, pick up in store, uh, curbside. Um, a a l- customer experience work. Exactly. I mean,
2: really. And, and I mean, you said – Yeah. And and when you said uh, change more than 30 years, because when, and I won't say when you and I started in our careers, but back then the CMO was more about the image. I Mm -hmm. mean, it wasn't growth. You mentioned growth. And and I'm so glad that, you know, that has become, you know, responsible for growth. But it was image was really what many CMOs were viewed for you know, the early stages of a career. I, but think, I don't think
1: you can have one without the other, though. Like, if you don't have that brand to exist, growth is that much harder. Like, you got to have at least a well, brand, and, and maybe it's not the most functional great brand, but you got to have a brand presence. People have to know that you have to be sought out before you can go to growth. Because without right. that brand, you're growing. Uh, you're not growing in trajectory. You're
2: growing, again, for that quick, instant gratification. Yeah, and maybe the better mm-hmm. way to put it is back when we started, I think... Yes, the marketers were doing that. I don't think CMOs had a seat at the table early in our careers. Now they are deemed by the CEO as a critical part of that growth.
3: Absolutely. And I think, you know, when I started, marketing was more about great creative and, you know, television and cool ads. And now it's, you know, how are we going to grow and what's, how are we going to modernize and, How does digital play in? And it's not digital, Facebook digital. It's truly how does digital, how do we use it to change our commerce and how do we get more consumers to shop digitally? Because. It's harder to find employees, and so how do you leverage technology? Yeah, that's to... an,
1: omni-channel, mm-hmm. an omni-channel approach because if one part of that cycle is broken, it throws off the whole marketing curve, right? If you're going to sit yeah. there and drive people to a function that's not working or that's not convenient, they're not coming back. You have one shot at that, but if someone's on holidays, someone's getting a ham, and that process is broken or too complicated or too confusing, they're not coming back. There's just it, there's too much competition in the space. They're not coming back. So I think that that's that omni-channel approach. I have to imagine um, from the first tenure at Honeybaked to, to when you came back, even that has been drastically changed. Of how much how important that is. What would you say the overall percentage of the business of online sales is now versus was even ten years ago?
3: Oh, it's it's much greater, and and because of the buy online pick up in store curbside, um, it has dramatically increased. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, makes a, it makes a ton of sense, and it's one of those things, it, it leans itself well to the market, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times, you order food, and it comes, and it's just a disheveled mess right? <laughs> it, 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 ham's coming in pretty good shape. I mean, it, it can go through a, a war zone and you're probably getting the ham back in the shape. So it leans itself well to that. So it makes sense to invest those dollars. And I have to imagine they start showing that return almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Unlike a lot of brand work where you're not function, you're not honing in on a specific function, it takes a long time to show those things. I have to imagine that growth and that, that, that was shown pretty quickly. Right.
3: Absolutely. And that, I mean, that's true for all the fast moving consumer brands I've worked with. It's you want to see they, you know, we're watching the sales results hourly and real time, yeah. right? Real time, and is it moving the needle? And if it's not, you pivot. Um, so it's it's got to grow. Yeah.
1: And was Honey so, Baked a, a, a corporation? Was it? A, 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 it was a.
2: It's. Privately held. Yeah,
1: privately private. held. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there are shareholders and board members, and th- those are the people who are making the decisions and you're leading the functions based on that. Okay. That, and again, it, it makes yeah. sense. Different. A private owner is different than a public corporation, well, which is different than a private corporation. And
2: so I want to shift a little bit, because it was obviously a large privately held. Um, so you had the funds. You talked about you went out and did the town halls. You're able to focus on um, what was going on in the markets. But if we're looking at smaller companies, you know, that maybe you're helping today or others in the, uh, the market. What advice would you have to them to really understand what's going on in the last two to three years? How do they better understand their consumers so that they know, do I need to look at my customer experience? Do I need to look at my brand? What's, mm-hmm. uh, what? what? Yeah, if you don't have a million dollars.
3: Exactly. It's um, understand who's shopping, who your consumers are, um, how they're buying, what they're purchasing. So really it could be a deep dive into your customers. Maybe take some smart bets and try and learn some things, and then obviously the data, the analytics—did it move the needle? Did it do what you were trying to do? Yeah. Test and learn. Test and learn. Yeah. yeah. I
2: mean, that's you know one of the things people say. Well, you know, they think they have to test everything at once, and when you're you know small and midsize, sometimes it's just testing, you know, an idea or two. Test it for a reasonable amount of time, unless you just get immediately negative results, mm-hmm. you know, and, and see what you can find from it and then go try the next thing. Yeah, exactly. Know. So what other uh, best practices would you, um, you know, would you share right now that you've kind of seen that? Um,
3: I would say for the CMO or any marketer really go out and we talked about customer experience and live the experience of the consumer and you know, go online what's uh, a <laughs> place an order um, see what happens when you go to the store, or the hotel or wherever you know whatever business it is you're in and understand what's going on. That's what that's one of the biggest pieces of marketing right now is is to understand that experience that the consumer has right. and the journey and um, if there's, any parts of it are broken or pain points, that's where I think a good marketer will come in and help the organization.
2: Right. So uh, I want to ask you, because I did this once or twice in my career, going, you know, to a new industry like you did at Interface.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, I walked in once. I don't know when you went there, if you walked in and found – Everyone had this internal knowledge of certain words, acronyms, whatever. But maybe their maybe, Lingo. 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 maybe <laughs> their consumers didn't, and it gets you get you get so inwardly focused to your point about understanding the consumers, you don't have an idea that some of your consumers are lost.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I'd say when I went to work for Interface, it's a global organization, and I was the first global chief marketing officer and so my first I'd say six months all I did was go out meet with the teams in the regions go on customer calls understand how the salespeople were showcasing the product and then again identified some of the pain points and that's where the teams would focus their energy so having a deep knowledge of The industry and the customers and then the... The teams who are executing,
2: yeah, and see the disconnects.
0: Exactly, that's and that's why you need
1: a CMO, right? If you don't yeah. have that, that means my assumption is, in different markets, it's a little different. At different levels, it's a little different, and you're out there trying to t- see how to join these things together because that unified brand experience has become even more important. Just like that omnichannel, if if you know, that's why people go to McDonald's because if you go to McDonald's in Beijing or you go in, the it is always the same experience, which is why they've grown like they have. Starbucks is another similar thing. That brand experience, it is the same thing throughout. As when you were going through there over the six months, is that what you were looking for? Why, why is this experience different here? Why does this part not match up with this part? Because overall, that's how the brand is going to grow is to unify first.
3: Mm-hmm. And it's true. It's um, And I go out and some people would tell me, oh, it's so different here. And <laughs> and there are absolutely regional differences. Sure. But a beautiful piece of carpet and... Um, Amsterdam is the same as it is in Birmingham, Alabama. It's, you know, yeah. it's, it's a beautiful. And the customer yeah. is probably
1: not that different. Mm-hmm. Who's buying it, Who's, right? Yeah, yeah. It Purchasing it. It's not like it's a commodity that everyone buys gas and they're all different. Like you have to have a certain amount of money to even afford or those things. So that's, but I have, there's quirks probably, mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's little
2: quirks, but you're, you're, you're well, going after a similar person. One of my favorite questions, because, uh, you know, uh, so you have, I know you hear that a lot is, oh, okay. So tell me one or one or two of the key things that makes it different here (laughs) and then a lot of times you get silence (laughs) (laughs) well it it would be things like
3: we drive on the left side of the road Uh, and not the right it's like okay Uh, Um, don't toilets flush
2: the other way in New Zealand (laughs) yeah (laughs) but it's funny how some people believe and 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 even if they do have the reasons they're like okay great sometimes Mm -hmm. it's it's insights and other times it's you know fantastic you know up in the northeast we also saw that and here's what when they changed something here's what where they benefited oh okay now now maybe there yeah, is a connection but i think covid threw that a, a change too right cuz yeah. like you you
1: joked about no events like we never stopped down here Right. Like I've been yeah. in this office. I didn't miss a day of work because we were deemed essential. But I have family in New York that still won't go near the office. So COVID probably sped that up just because how yeah. differently people handled it. I mean, there are still companies that won't even think about the office. And there are some that are like, no, no, you need to get back here now. So that's got to even screw up just the, in different yeah. parts of the country, how people are behaving. I mean, just their reaction to COVID and masks, that, that was so different everywhere, um, which had to change. I have to imagine companies that are yeah. dealing with that now are again. All right. Let's put this behind us. How do we get people on the same page? So the people in Minneapolis that don't want to go to work and the people in in Florida do want to go to work, how do we align this? I got to imagine there's lots of conversations having in back rooms right now about how to unify that experience throughout the company.
3: Absolutely. And as a consultant, I get to see a lot of different businesses and it is all over the board as far as people going back to the office. Some are going back five days a week and some are still. Begging the employees to come back, so right. you know I think it it depends on the company and their culture, but um, it's a little bit
2: yeah yeah. So I, I want to I, I take a second because I I have uh, been fortunate I got to see um, Joanne talking through your own brand purpose journey, um, and now that you're able to help. Um, you know, other clients who who can you benefit, and who do you want to work with? Because I know that that was part of your brand purpose. Um, you know, what type of organizations, and and what do you want to be involved in, and how can you help other people?
3: So the organizations or people I want to be mm-hmm. involved with are organizations or people who want to grow, okay. who ha- who stand for something or want to stand for something. So I'm working with a client right now who. We're working on their brand story, their um, purpose, and but they're very ambitious about doing that. And so it's been really fun for me to be on the ground floor yeah. to work with their team and to craft that story and their brand message. So, I, And I'd say people are asking me, what are you doing now and who are you working with? And it's very varied. It's everything from education, manufacturing. Cool. Um, agency... Keeps you on your toes. It, right? it yeah. does. Yeah, I right.
1: imagine. But it gives you that wealth of knowledge, too, because yeah. now you're seeing it from all angles, which I have to imagine seeing one industry can give you pieces of tidbits of advice that might help with the other industry that you would have never thought of before if you weren't in this diversity right now.
3: Absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's, super, that's one of the things I love yeah. about radio is like the people I market for everything you can imagine. Some spending 60000 a month, spending 2000 a month. Some three people, some 25,000 people. I mean, imagine the, the diversity of going from Joe's painting to Truist Bank and dealing with the CMO and dealing with jo- Joe himself, how different it is. But you learn things because what I've always found out, the small guys want to be the big guys. Most right. of the big guys wish they could operate like the small guys. So that healthy medium and having the advice from both sides is a great way to present it. It's never going to work that way. There's no mm-hmm. way Truist Bank will ever operate like Joe. But, and there's no way Joe is going to, ever be true is but it's nice to aspire to that i guess
2: no absolutely so real quick if someone does want to find you so it's joanne no e Harold. but uh what's your website and uh, how would uh, someone find you the best
3: it's heraldgrowthconsulting.com so h-e-r-o-l-d growthconsulting.com or linkedin i'm very active on linkedin and always try to get back
2: yeah, and if you're not following Joanne, you should on LinkedIn. So um, what other, you know, things are you looking to for the rest of this year? Maybe that um, you you see coming down the pike. Turmoil. Yeah.
3: Oh, turmoil. Um, well, it seems like, you know, there's a lot of noise as far as the economy. But if something's going to happen, I think it's going to be fast. And so I'd say for brands and people, just keep... Keep investing, keep growing, keep doing what you're doing. Don't be afraid. Um, The consumers are coming back. They're craving, again, human interaction. So,
1: Yeah, one of the things we constantly talk about is have a plan, but in that plan, have room to make a quick pivot if you Mm -hmm. need to, but don't divert from the plan. Make the plan so we can bend when it needs to bend because right now that quick change is coming. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we we always talk about is, is again, most people, when they make that pivot, they pivot so far off that it's hard to get back. Because one of the things we've always talked about, if you're doing brand marketing, you know, when you stop marketing, you won't feel it because the brand is there for six months. But when the six months passes, it's going to take a year, yeah. and a year and a half to get it back. So you really have to be strategic and steadfast and, you know, let's call it is well-funded. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, maybe we've had free money for so long. Maybe we should have been putting some money away to handle these problems, which we knew inevitably were coming. All right, I'll get off the horse. I'll, yeah, get, off the, and, and I'll, I'll get off
2: my horse. And it may be a frequency thing because your point, it may happen quick. So, you know, you might um, don't stop, but you might slow down your frequency of whatever the campaigns are a little bit. Um, But then be able to be ready to ramp them back up, but definitely don't stop.
3: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
2: Um, You know, one of uh, the things I kind of wonder about is sometimes uh, research, especially in tough. To me, turbulent times is a great time to do research. Mm -hmm. I don't know what your your thoughts are there.
3: Absolutely. And whether it's um, informal focus groups, um, getting out and just, again, talking to your customers or, you know, big pieces of research that you might not have had an opportunity to do. It is a great time to see what's out there.
1: And that's a great point though. You want to be diverse because one of the great things about the internet, you can do research so quickly, right? Just a heat map of a website. You learn more in like six seconds than you would have 20 years ago going out. But at the same time, that doesn't give you the picture of what's happening at the ground level and the human interaction. So it's the same thing we always talk about. Go to analytics but don't lean too heavily on analytics. You mm-hmm. need that experience. You need that gut
2: instinct because that's what made marketing great in the first place. Yeah, you, you need um, different types of opinions. Make, make sure you're not getting a biased view and only hearing the voices you want to hear. Mm-hmm. right? And I see that a lot. Yeah, it's so um, easy to sway data. It's, it's, to everyone very, to.
1: it's easy to tell whatever story you want with yeah, any data. There's, there's a, Not like I do That's it. a
2: whole other segment we actually are going to do on market research coming up, but um, we'll we'll do that on that segment. So uh, we'll be right back in a few minutes, but uh, you are listening to the Marketing Madmen on Extra 106.3.
1: Now back to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3 FM. Welcome back to the Marketing Mad Men. We, got, we just got surprise after surprise. So uh, we've had a great show with Joanne. We've talked through a lot of different things here. Um, and now we are bringing on Miss Moira Vetter, who has been on the show before. Um, and we're going to do some, a fun little debate here. But first, I do want to introduce Moira because... The podcast went so well that we are actually launching a new podcast uh, under the Marketing Mad Men Network. A and first gonna, spinoff. A, a spinoff, if you will. No, Woo-hoo. it's not a spinoff, it's part of it. We're yes, a family, family. We can't, yes. it's not a spinoff, yes, that's, a, that's separation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but I'm gonna let Maura introduce it, um, and then we are gonna get into some B2B versus B2C debate.
4: Fantastic, well I am so honored to be here mm-hmm. and excited and excited to be amongst friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are going to be launching today the Marketing Madhouse. Uh, and, uh, I just had so much fun and there are so many great stories about marketing. Um, you know, uh, I really want to have fun and demystify marketing, um, and just tell crazy stories that people don't know exist in the marketing
1: bit. and advertising. And you can learn yeah. so much from those crazy stories, oh, right? Yes. Oh. And just yes. as much from the negative ones as the positive ones. The boring ones are just the meh, yeah. but in the middle ones. The crazy ones, the good ones, the bad ones—that's what you learn from. Those we don't—we don't need the middle ones. Yeah. We don't exactly. need an—we don't need a 500 team. We need either the best team in the league or the worst team in the league. That's what makes it fun. Yeah, and yeah. I think a madhouse is a, a very appropriate way to uh, yes. look at it. Yes. and I think it's a great way to talk about what we're yeah. about to do because. Neither of these guests know what we're about to do. So uh, we got a B2B. We got B2C. In this re- in this corner, we, we have, have Lauren. In this uh, corner, we have Joanne. So what we're going to do- I left
4: my boxing gloves at the office, oh. unfortunately. Oh. But... Ding, ding,
0: ding. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're ready.
1: So we're going to talk about which is a harder feat, to be a B2B marketer or a B2C marketer. Right. Tripp and I are going to try to moderate, but again,
2: let's have some All right, fun so here. So let's, let's, we uh, had Joanne on, uh, so let's let Joanne uh, get to fire first.
1: Uh, hardest, part, hardest part about B2C and why it's harder than B2B?
3: Hardest part about B2C is sales tomorrow. Our sales today, you're watching hourly, so you're on the hook and everybody's watching and you got to make it happen.
1: In the real time. In it's, it's, the it's, real, it's time. It's real time. In the real time. Great. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Maura, hardest part about B2B and why it's harder than B2C?
4: It is so complicated, and I'm going to say it's the committee. Right. So they, they always say that a camel is a horse designed by committee. And in B2B, you have to understand all these buyers with competing priorities. So there isn't a story or a, a narrative. It's this whole cat herding exercise.
2: So on that, though, let me uh, take it back. Would you rather you know, die by nine paper cuts from a committee or would you rather be... Uh, judged today and shot tomorrow (laughs) in B2C. So uh, why don't, Joanne, uh, give your view of that.
3: Well, I'm going to say B2C also has committees. Mm -hmm. And so it's everything from your franchisees, your board, your operators, supply chain, your customers. So there's many, many, many stakeholders and committee members Mm -hmm. that are a part of the B2C.
1: And, and consumer, yeah. change, consumer change has got to be a little faster than B2B, right? It's just the, the consumer behavior changes. And if you look at it in the grand scale, it's not that fast. But again, COVID was that forced pivot where consumer behavior changed really fast. So I have to imagine that's another thing that's really hard in B2C is how do you adjust on the fly to those consumer demands and what they need. Uh, and Moira prove me wrong. It's B2B. What, well, where's f- that first end?
4: I'm going to give a point to B2C because I'm about to have teenagers. And I think <laughs> trying to get a, a probably a 13 or a 15-year-old to do anything is the hardest job on the planet. Well, Don't tell me that. My five-year-old won't do anything. I don't even know
1: what's coming out at 13 then.
4: Yeah. But but back to your, you know, which is better. Um, I'm a long game person. That's what's intellectually interesting. And, uh, you know, I think B2B has the best of both worlds. There are very long sales cycles and there are very long relationships. I've got a client that I've had for 30 years. Um, But you better believe they're trying to sell something today. And they're worried Mm -hmm. about the low-hanging fruit in this quarter as well.
1: Yeah. And ultimately... B2B goes B2B many times, then eventually it's going B2C, right? -hmm. There's always an end consumer of everything. So you sit in different spots. You are beholden to some extent to B2B relationships and B2B marketing at some point, and you ultimately have to at some point think about who the consumer is at the end of the cycle. So that's where they align. So talk about that a little bit. Talk about the B2B part of it and how much you rely on those B2B decisions also.
0: Well, it's
3: interesting Moira brought up the long game. And B2C is a long game also because the product development takes sometimes – anywhere from nine months to two years. Uh, and while mm-hmm. B2C is sometimes dependent on LTOs, which are limited time offers, those take a long time to develop and create. Um, we'll use the example of Honeybake though, the B2C, B2B. Sure, Honeybaked had both. And we had a, a very strong B2B arm in that we go out and sell to business, consumers, the product, sure. and so it, it was that arm, so both fit, yeah. Uh, and and then the B to C was more, you know, the consumers who came in mm-hmm. and brought the bought the product that day. And uh, so there were two different pieces of the
1: yeah the makes, brand makes it makes a ton of sense to me. Mm-hmm.
3: You know, one of the things that I
4: that's exciting to me is there really is a convergence. I mean, they aren't right. separate. They, there are differences in discipline from a planning standpoint, sure. segmentation. You know, there, there's there's a lot of you know inside baseball that has to do with planning for it, but with what has happened with uh, all of technology and data streams and digital streams and, you know, targeting, um, you know, everybody is a consumer, you know, and and I think that bringing the best of B2C thinking, you know, in terms of advertising and marketing is what wakes B2B up at what makes B2B great. And
1: it goes both ways yeah. too because there are probably some B2B principles that can be applied. Yep. I'll give you a great example. Oh. Southwire is a great mm-hmm. example. Yep. So we're in the battery right now. Everyone, Brave sponsor. Braves. We, we, we represent the Braves, but Southwire has moved into the battery. Southwire mm-hmm. sells copper wiring, mm-hmm. right? That is not B2C. No, there's no yep. one like, you know what I really need this morning? My goodness gracious, I need some copper wiring. Yep. So they are now in the battery. They are now, sponsor the Braves with what used to be B2C thinking to spread word about their B2B company. And their thought process is usually the same, it warms up a cold call. If they saw you on their favorite team, they're more likely to answer the cold call. Um, But I think that convergence is being sped up now, and I think a lot of those principles are probably being exchanged a lot quicker.
4: I didn't even plan this, but it, that's the client that I yeah. started working on in
2: 1993. No that's the yes. client 30 years later. No smiling. To, we
1: have to talk offline because yeah. we're having some
2: conversations right now. Right, so yeah, let's talk. I was smiling a little bit, but I think the other thing to say, I think B2C is also learned from B2B is, Maura mentioned it earlier, my career, you had to understand all parts of it, from supply Correct. chain to finance to operations, whatever, and I think B2C for- Many years ago was more, about you're either in promotions, you're either in advertising, you're either in product development, and I think siloed. and I think B2C has become less siloed mm-hmm. over the years, and I think that's uh, you know a benefit. I think they both learn from each other
3: absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. So,
2: well my goodness gracious we came to
1: the, the <laughs> listeners won I yeah guess, I guess exactly that's what we
2: well and i think you know as we continue to get thought leaders like joanne and Mora and and many others out there i do think that you know marketing keeps getting better you get a seat at the table that you uh, maybe didn't have years ago mm-hmm. so what what last uh, we got about 30 seconds each uh, what last comment would you each like to uh, leave our listeners with today
4: I'm just excited. Uh, I I, uh, expected a fair fight with Joanne and I got one. And uh, love you and just really enjoy talking about this stuff. This is my meat and potatoes and uh, really glad to be here.
3: And I'd love to give a big shout out to Moira, who is about to win the AMA Lifetime Achievement Week.
2: Fantastic!
4: Goodness so gracious! Wow. Look at that! And Joanne is also news. also yeah. winning an award,
3: and is it marketers for good? Marketer for good. L- okay. Look, we're just wow. dropping,
1: we're just dropping knowledge here, right here. This is yeah. good. this is good stuff. Wow. Uh, well, listen to the podcast, subscribe, listen to the radio. Make sure to check out the Marketing Madhouse. Google us, LinkedIn, find us. Be, want to be a guest, you want to give us things to talk about, join us, engage with us, we'd love to have you.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And so, and again, if you didn't hear, you can reach uh, Joanne Harold either on LinkedIn or at com, And of course, Maura Vedder at motomotoagency.com. And uh, you have been listening to the Marketing Mad Men on Extra 106.3. Have a great week, everybody.